welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. Most students are just now wrapping up their work for the school year and doing it remotely. But if you're a parent of a student or a student yourself, you've probably already started thinking about what things will look like in the fall when you are expected to go back to school. Some school districts are already releasing plans trying to answer that question, and most of those plans look really different from what we're used to. A lot of questions remain unanswered. How much new technology will be needed for this work? What will childcare look like, especially for families who have parents who work? What support will there be for students who are likely to come into the year at very different levels due to the cancellation of in-person instruction this year. I know this is a conversation that is going on in just about every household here in the state of Michigan as we lean into the summer break, which is just around the corner. What are things going to look like when we have to send our kids back to school? And will they be better than the experiences that most of us had this year, where schools did their best to adapt very quickly to the idea that in-class instruction had to end, but that we had a lot of glitches. There's no question. There were a lot of things that didn't work out the way people expected them to, and there was a lot of frustration, I know, on the part of both kids and parents. So here to talk about what we might expect in the future is Gerald Hill. He's a superintendent of the West Bloomfield Public Schools, which is the first district in the state to release its plans for what school is going to look like in the fall. Gerald Hill, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, Thank you, Mr. Henderson. Very pleased to be here. Also with us is Tim Bearden. He is the chief academic officer and upper school director at Detroit Country Day School, where they also are thinking a lot about how to open their doors in some way again in the fall. Tim Bearden, welcome to Detroit Today as well. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, So, Jerry, I'm going to start with you. You are the first public school district in the state to release plans for what school is going to look like in the fall. Walk us through those plans and how you settled on this as the way to go forward. Uh, Sure. Well, well, first of all, all those questions that you were asking uh, just now uh, were going through our minds very uh, intently. And and so we decided that parents also had all those questions, and, and we needed to get a plan together changing from crisis mode education, which we experienced in March and and had been refining, to a more proactive uh, plan. And so we came up with a plan that uh, has three different components. To start with, however, we will say that whatever the state, the county, uh, Michigan Department of Education uh, come up with in terms of if they say we can all be back in school face-to-face as normal, we're there. However, uh, we don't think that will be the case come come August and September. Mm-hmm. And, and so our our plan has three different uh, uh, pathways, if you will. Uh, there There's a, a plan A, which uh, during which students will go to school, half of the half of the students Monday and Tuesday. All the students have remote learning on Wednesday, and the other half of the students have face to face on Thursday and Friday. When school is in session for face-to-face, we will have social distancing because we'll have half of the students there. 
the remote part will be going on Monday and Tuesday for the students that aren't face-to-face. And, and so instead of having a single teacher teach a class, we're going to have teams of teachers. And so we can divide uh, the students up and have a more logical approach to the plan. So. Hmm. And, and talk about the the schedule that you guys are are putting together and the way it will affect families who have their kids enrolled in that district. Well, first of all, we're trying to give families as much flexibility and choice as possible. We've heard from families who they want school the way it was. I mean, right right now, there it's not the distance learning piece is not working uh, entirely effectively for their their family for their children. We have other families who don't want anything to do with face-to-face until there are more assurances that it's safe to do so. So we have flexibility and we have options. Uh, the, the schedule will be challenging uh, because it's not five days face-to-face. There'll be two days face-to-face, three days remote, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are a special needs uh, student or special needs population, uh, some of those classes are small to begin with, so we can have those classes meet face-to-face four days a week, as an example. There's other students who may need some extra support uh, uh, with, their, with their learning, and so we will have opportunities for having small group instruction on, a, on a another day of the week rather than the, in addition to their two face-to-face. So there's a lot of uh, flexibility built into the plan, a uh, lot of teacher uh, professional development that we will be conducting uh, over the summer to get ready for this, so we are more... Uh, just practical about how how to accomplish distance learning with a face-to-face model in combination. Hmm. Uh, Tim Bearden uh, at Detroit Country Day School, I know you are mulling over all of these same questions. Uh, Tell us what some of the similarities are between what you're doing and having to think about and what we just heard uh, from Gerald Hill in, in West Bloomfield and what some of the differences might be between that and a relatively small private school. Yeah, thank you. So um, we're, we're thinking along some of the same kind of lines that, uh, that Jerry is and some of the same issues that apply to West Bloomfield, of course, apply to us and every other school. Um, so we're, we have a task force that's um, tasked with the idea of exploring and researching all the different models that are available, um, trying to creatively come up with the one that best fits our needs and our students. Um, with the hope, you know, as Jerry said, that we'll be face-to-face in the fall and um, we'll, as West Bloomfield will and as well all schools, we'll follow the state and local health guidelines um, and trying to make sure that we keep safety and health of our students and our faculty and staff as our top priority. So um, we're looking at, at a variety of different options. We're a little bit different in that our class sizes are quite a bit smaller to begin with than a lot of our public school counterparts. So it gives us a different kind of set of issues to deal with. Right now in our lower school and our middle school, most of our classrooms could accommodate um, our typical student loan load with the kind of um, social distancing separation that are recommended in current guidelines uh, without any changes. So we may not be in a situation where we have to explore the same kind of, you know, possibilities as alternate day and, and things like that as other schools have to. So things look a little, a little different for us. Um, we also have a learning management system that's allowed us to kind of pivot towards a remote environment 
um, in a way that's been, I think, probably more seamless than we even imagined it was going to be. So we use a learning management system called Canvas that has made it possible for us to move back and forth from a remote environment to an in-person environment pretty pretty seamlessly because our teachers were already using this platform prior to moving into a remote environment. It allows us to really run our classes completely online. So our great hope is, of course, to be together in the fall in person and have this close to a, a normal, if there is such a thing anymore, situation as we can. But we're also planning for every possible contingency. So we're not to the point where West Bloomfield is where we're ready to to make a statement about where, where we'll be in the fall, although we have a number of different ideas of what that might look like. We're on a timeline to be somewhere around the end of June, um, early part of July, with, uh, with kind of laying out what our various different contingency plans will be. Hmm. Uh, you say that there's an urgent need to integrate technology at all levels in all schools. Talk about what you mean by that and what you think needs to happen between now and the fall when it comes to technology. Well, you know, our, our kids are at somewhat of an advantage in that we have a one-to-one -one program um, in our school anyway. Each student has a device, um, and, and we recognize that we're pretty fortunate and that we have the resources to ensure that our kids all have access to the Internet and, uh, and can use those devices to access their school learning platform. Um, we recognize that not every school has that, and I think our experience has been that it's almost impossible to do justice to do this to, to this kind of remote environment without both a learning management system, without an equity of access to the internet and to a device that's enabled to the degree that it can it can manage um, a fair amount of dense content. You know, video can support video, um, video production, um, you know, audio production, and has audio capacity. And, and we recognize that not everybody has that. And I think any part of any plan for both public schools and private schools has to encompass making sure that students have access to technology. And I think really that every school in order to do this remotely will have to have a learning management system if they're gonna be in it for any period of time that allows teachers to make their assignments in a remote environment, students to submit their work um, for that work to be assessed in a remote environment and learning management system is essential. So I hope that in the public world, I hope the intermediate school districts um, and school districts themselves are either on that path or looking towards that path in order to make sure their kids have the best access to instruction. Hmm. I'm talking with Gerald Hill, who is the superintendent of the West Bloomfield Public Schools, and Tim Bearden, who's the chief academic officer and upper school director at Detroit Country Day School. We're talking about the fall when schools reopen and re-welcome children in some way to their to their buildings or to at least to their academic programs and what that will look like given the current pandemic and what we think the public health urgencies will look like uh, by fall they almost certainly will be somewhat different than now but the idea of everyone going back to school just the way it was seems somewhat unrealistic. Uh, we're talking about what schools are thinking about in terms of how to reopen in the fall and what parents and students might be able to start expecting. Uh, we want to hear from you as well. What do you think schools will probably look like in the fall? Do you think schools are going to be open if there's no vaccine by September? If you're a parent of a student or a student yourself, what are the things that are causing you the most anxiety about 
the fall and reopening schools. Parents, are you going to feel comfortable sending your child off to school, maybe every day, maybe a few days a week? And if not, what would make you comfortable and what would make you feel safe? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Also, give us a call and let us know how things have gone so far with schooling in your household. This sudden switch to distance learning, to all online learning that schools and parents and kids all had to adopt and uh, adapt to instantaneously has gone very differently for very different people. I know that. Uh, a lot of folks have struggled with the technology. Some folks have struggled with the change in instruction. We really want to hear what your experience was, what your frustrations were, what maybe you thought worked well, and how you think that ought to inform what we do in the fall. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, uh, Jerry and Tim, we have a question that I want to ask from Twitter. Uh, Kim on Twitter says... Ask how they will handle teachers who have underlying health conditions in terms of placing them and equity, in other words, with teachers who don't have underlying health conditions. That's one of the things that I think uh, schools are going to have to think of as well is not everybody is in the same public health posture uh, at this point. Some people are at more risk than others. How do you deal with that uh, with your with your teaching population, which uh, which, uh, of course, you have union rules uh, at the public school uh, that, that would govern some of that? I'd love to hear how you're thinking of that. Gerald, uh, I will start with you. Sure. Uh, well, well, we are thinking about that very seriously. And when we're, we're working with our employee groups, our teachers unions and, and other unions and in our plan, uh, because 50% of the time in one of the pathways is uh, remote, we will have teachers that focus on the remote piece in cooperation with teachers that are in the face-to-face. -face. Then we have another pathway that's a totally remote uh, option for those families who don't feel comfortable in face-to-face. -face. And so we will have options for our teachers to have choice and flexibility in their schedule as well, and we'll pair the teachers uh, appropriately, those that have underlying health conditions or, or the vulnerable age, for example, uh, may be doing the bulk of the remote learning. Um, one, one of the things I, I think is huge is, is the equity piece that we were talking about earlier, uh, and, and that applies to teachers too, because they, um, working from home, homes aren't all equal in, in terms of the setup for students and or for teachers. So when we have our remote environment, if we can have the teachers in a place that is set up for uh, remote and distance learning, uh, that the learning management system is critical. We're switching from Google to um, Canvas as well. Uh, and, and so there's a whole lot of, of needs that we have in terms of professional development, but taking care of the teachers in terms of their health and making the the environment safe to work in, whether that environment is a school classroom or in a, a more remote setting. Uh, Tim, how does that uh, look at a place like Country Day? Yeah, I agree that that's a, a significant issue, not just for faculty, um, but also for our staff, uh, you know, people who work in our offices and uh, our administrative assistants, um, for our kids. Um, we're going to have kids who are immunocompromised or who who 
uh, don't feel comfortable being back in person or families who don't feel comfortable with their children being back in person. So I think any plan has to address how to manage um, those different situations, whether that's some teachers teaching remotely, some students taking class remotely. Um, we've even looked at, and we are looking at options um, that would allow us to synchronously stream um, instruction that's happening in a classroom so that students who are at home or, uh, or conversely done by teachers who are at home to students who are at school, um, that instruction could take place where not everyone was necessarily in the same room, but that uh, the instruction is taking place and the teaching and learning is taking place synchronously. So there are those options out there and we're exploring you know, to how, how effective they would be and as we look at every possibility. But I think it's a really important concern that everybody has at the top of their list. How do we, it's actually one of the CDC, CDC standards for schools reopening is um, the school has to have a plan for managing children at high risk, faculty at high risk, and administration and staff who are at high risk. Hmm. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about schools and what they will look like when kids come back in the fall. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. Mitchell in Farmington Hills, Michelle in Southfield, they both have great questions. We will hear from them next, and we will continue to talk with Gerald Hill and Tim Bearden about how they are planning for school in the future. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Your city. Your town. Your voice. On 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. My guests are Gerald Hill, superintendent of the West Bloomfield Public Schools, and Tim Bearden, who is the chief academic officer and upper school director at Detroit Country Day School. We're talking about what school is going to look like when they reopen in the fall. Schools are beginning to let out for the summer, and... I think every family in the state is wondering what will be different when we come back to school, send our kids back off to school in the fall. We've had this tremendous disruption uh, for the second half of this school year because of the coronavirus pandemic. Lots of changes, all kids staying home and doing distance learning through some sort of technology. How did that go for you and your family? And are you comfortable if that's going to be the norm again in the fall? Or do you want to send kids back off to school and be sure that they will be safe? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or to Twitter, put comments there, and we'll try to work them into the conversation. Let's go to Michelle in Southfield. Michelle, welcome to the program. Well, uh, oh, oh, hi, Stephen, and hi, guests. Um, good morning. How's everyone today? Hope Very everyone's good. well. Yes. And COVID free. Um, my question too. is, or my comment is rather, um, with this new hybrid remote learning and distance learning and mixtures, my question is, how is testing going to be done? Because you have the third grade mandate that's currently in place that should have been enacted or um, put in place right now. However, how are you going to? 
to, to test. How are you going to do any testing with this remote and hybrid learning? My second thing also, if I can just plug this, where's Betsy DeVos in all of this conversation? The Department of Education should be, along with the CDC, putting forth all these plans, but I don't hear any mention of her. Hmm. That's my question. Thank you. Yeah, great question, Michelle. Thanks very much for calling in. Uh, Tim Bearden, I'll start with you. This this question of testing uh, that looks different at uh, some place like Country Day than it does at public schools, uh, but there still is this question of standards and how you manage them when instruction has changed as much as it has. Yeah, it's a really good question. So um, we're not beholden to the same state kind of assessments that a public school district is is held to. So. Um, the caller's question about, you know, third grade literacy testing and third grade testing is not something that directly impacts us, although the, the matter of assessment is one that we're all dealing with in this environment. So um, for us, it's been a really interesting exploration into alternative assessment and, and more authentic assessment where students demonstrate mastery in different ways, um, which I actually think has expanded kind of the toolbox for teachers and, and has kind of created a situation of urgency to explore some of these different models. So instead of a kid um, demonstrating his or her mastery in a, in a one-time kind of time test situation, um, our, our kids have been given the opportunity to demonstrate their mastery in other ways by doing presentations, video presentations, projects that demonstrate their understanding, their mastery of a concept, and sometimes in a way that demonstrates more depth than a paper and pencil test might have necessarily demonstrated. So for us, at the end of this year, we're auditing our curriculum. We have a group called our Curriculum Leadership Council whose responsibility is to manage curriculum instruction pre-K through 12. And so right now they're auditing um, where we are at every grade level and every course at the conclusion of this year so we can determine and kind of reset our benchmarks um, as we move into the fall and make sure that our expectations are appropriate to where our students are at the end of this school year. Um, we feel really good, especially at the middle school and the upper school level, that we've been able to keep our kids on track. The lower school um, and the elementary grade levels are more difficult because this really puts a lot of pressure on parents. Um, it's really forced them to um, make some difficult decisions and work in a way that they probably didn't expect to or sign up for as far as their child's education. And so um, we're finding that our elementary classrooms, while they've made good progress, might not be in the same places that they traditionally would be. So we have to really you know, audit that um, and see where kids are uh, as we move into the fall. But they're, they're good questions. I'll let um, you know, Mr. Hill speak to Mr. Voss's position or what input they've had from the Departments of Education. Sure. Uh, Dr. Hill, uh, first the question about assessments in this third grade uh, this third grade reading requirement that was passed. I know that's not being enforced this year, but how does that look when we go forward into the fall? And then talk about what, what kinds of guidance you've been able to get so far from the Department of Education, which I think Michelle is right in saying has seemed very absent in the conversation about what schools should actually look like right now. Yeah, well, there's a, a silver lining in every cloud. And uh, from my perspective, the not being able to administer high-stakes testing, particularly the third-grade reading assessments, is not a, a big loss educationally. It, it may be politically for some people, but, but certainly not educationally. Um, uh, one of the things that I'd like to see come out of this is a, a movement more toward 
as Tim was saying, the authentic assessments and and, and looking at a competency-based approach as opposed to a standards-based approach and, and have the assessments be more developed by teachers, uh, assessments of learning, um, um, for learning, not of learning. And, and so I think there's a, a great uh, possibility there that we need to take advantage of as a public school system. Regarding the... Um, State Department of Education uh, and, and Betsy DeVos, I, I don't think she's made any secret of this, that she's using this as an opportunity p- to promote her private uh, school choice and, and voucher system. Mm-hmm. Um, in, the, in the meantime, we in the public sector, we're, we're looking at huge decreases in funding due to the lack of revenue coming in, and we seem to have a Congress that's reluctant to put together a relief package um, for state and local governments and public schools without any federal intervention and relief package, similar to what um, the CARES Act has been or the the funding for private businesses across the country, um, you'll see massive uh, reductions in opportunities in the public sector. And and so we are um, constantly working with and lobbying our state and federal legislators to uh, put together a package that can backfill the revenue losses experienced because if we have to cut 750 to 1300 dollars per student that's anywhere from a 20 up to a 25 percent reduction there is no way we can um, do our plan uh, and do it safely so there there has to be some relief and it has to come sooner than later so we can plan for uh, the fall more appropriately without schools being operational the economy cannot recover because yeah. parents need uh, the students engaged in school. They can't. They have to work and provide our livelihood for their families. It's our responsibility to do the educating, and we need the resources to do it. Yeah. Uh, I also want to ask about funding. Uh, the state faces an incredible shortfall of tax dollars. The, the numbers, the percentages that we've heard so far in terms of cuts to, to schools, to public schools, are pretty frightening. Uh, uh, Gerald Hill, talk about talk about w- what you think you might have to do if they cut school funding by twenty five percent, for instance. Uh, how would a district like West Bloomfield or any other district be able to function? Well, it would be very difficult. How do we social distance when we have twenty five percent more students in a classroom than previous? And we're talking about going, we need 50% less. So the, the mathematics cards that we're putting into place with PPEs and, and, and uh, testing, uh, not testing academically, but testing for COVID-19, um, those are expenses that have to be covered. The, the additional needed work on cleaning the facilities is not going to come at uh, a decrease in, in cost. So every facet of of our of our operation is going to need additional revenue, not less revenue, and and the funding is there at the federal level if they choose to do it. Right now, there doesn't seem to be a universal political will. Let's open the economy, but let's shut down the very people who have been providing uh, services all the while through the pandemic. To me, that doesn't make any sense. Mm. Uh, again, if you want to join the conversation, three one three five seven seven. 1019. Let us know what you're thinking about in terms of school in the fall. Are you looking forward to schools opening up more than they are now in the fall, hoping that you will be able to send your child off at least a few days a week? Or are you somebody who 
really prefers uh, the the way that things are now, and, and at least as long as there is this deadly disease that is being spread uh, among among people who are in contact with others, uh, does this work just fine? The distance learning that's been going on since the pandemic started. Again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Mitchell in Farmington Hills. Mitchell, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephen. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm I'm thankful that I graduated in like five years ago. But I'm kind of thinking going, since this pandemic is going around, I think that teachers, I mean, kids will have, like, have to wear masks going into the school year. But I also think that the teachers, that the parents will be scared to send their kids to uh, school without without a vaccine. Hmm. And, uh, Mitchell, if, if they are afraid, you think, they shouldn't. They shouldn't do it. Or what do you think is the is the answer to that? Well, I think they should be cautious because um, I think like schools should have like maybe the spiritual learning still going on, while maybe some parents will send their kids to school. But I mean, I know as much that parents like to send their kids to school, but I just think that the world will be just different and some parents will and maybe some parents won't. Uh, Mitchell, I really appreciate the call uh, and the perspective there. Uh, uh, Gerald Hill uh, react to that idea that parents might be really afraid to send their children to school because of the public health concerns, even by fall. Uh, what, what's, the, what's the answer to that from a school district perspective? Well, we're looking toward uh, to the CDC and the Michigan Department of Health, Oakland County Department of Health, for for real good guidance on that. I know there is guidance on the reopening of schools uh, from the CDC. That's been not very well publicized, but uh, there are certain criteria that have to be met: uh, social distancing, um, testing, contact tracing. Um, wearing PPE, um, all of those types of things. And even with all of those, until there's a vaccine, some families will not feel comfortable going, putting their students in in a public school setting or private school setting for that matter. Uh, and, And so we do have to have choices for the families. And that's one of the pillars of our plan is to have choice where we can explain very clearly uh, what the procedures will be in face-to-face, and we have a, we'll have a very robust uh, online option uh, available for those that don't feel comfortable with that. Uh, uh, Tim Bearden, if, if parents are uncomfortable sending their kids off to school, what, what can schools do? Can you offer, for instance, 100% distance learning to, to families in the fall if that's what they want? I think we can. I think we're in a position to do that if it's necessary. I mean, for us, we're obviously an enrollment-driven school. So um, figuring out a way to give our students the kind of experience that they typically have at Detroit Country Day School is is challenging because a big part of what we do is the is the, the educating the whole child. And so we have a lot of pieces to our expectations and to what we do um, that are not easy to replicate in an online environment, particularly for younger children. That being said, I think we've become more and more creative with the way we're delivering instruction in the online environment. We've learned a lot from 
these last few months. And um, I think we have a really nice package. I think the other, as I, as I mentioned earlier, the other possibility that exists for us is to stream our instruction synchronously so that students could be at home and still have an experience of uh, what it's like in the classroom at school. So we might have some students who, for whatever reason, for their, you know, for health reasons or uh, or for other concerns, decide to stay home. Um, we hope that we can still deliver instruction to them in a way that's meaningful. Uh, let's go back to the phones here. Tyler in St. Clair Shores. Tyler, welcome to the show. Hey. Um, thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think COVID-19 has provided a very unique opportunity for us to teach kids how to really um, kind of flex their ability to adapt and, uh, and and learn on the fly and get some new experiences. But I think maybe we also underestimate the importance of the social development aspect of public schools, um, that remote learning and remote interaction just doesn't provide, I think. Um, and so I, there, there has to be a middle ground, right, where we protect students' health, we protect kind of their safe space, but also get them back into the classroom where they're learning and, and figuring out how to interact with each other so that when these young people finally do go out into the world, they have the skills to be able to work effectively, not just remote, but also inside of a professional environment. I think that, you know, the, the whole being able to grow up in um, in kind of that normal social uh environment that we traditionally have had is is super important and I would really like to see kids go back into the fall or some sort of tiered approach where we have um, maybe one or two days in the classroom per week and then slowly scale up. I I guess I'd just like to see more kids go back into the classroom because, you know, I think it's an important part of developing as a human. Yeah, I don't think anyone would argue with that, Tyler. I think the, the, the question is how do you balance that very real imperative against the public health concerns that uh, that, that that people have right now. I, I wonder, Tim Bearden, how much you and other school officials are talking about that need for not just academic it's to be in, in in person, but but for kids to to interact with each other and with uh, with their teachers in, in in person that that's a that is again one of the things that that I think we all value about school. Yeah, I think it's a great point. Uh, the social emotional wellness of our kids and really not just our kids, our our faculty and our staff too. Um when we're kind of distanced from one another in this sort of artificial isolation is really challenging. Um you know, when we when we get kids together on a live call like in a Zoom classroom meeting um, sometimes it's really kind of neat just to see how much they enjoy seeing each other. You know, I forget that um, not only are they isolated from their teachers, but I think Tyler's point is really good. They're isolated from each other. Um, they haven't been able to hang out in the way they normally do. Um, and so they're in this kind of artificial situation. It's really challenging. So I, I think the point of, of getting kids back in any way that we can safely is a really good one. If we can safely um, find a way to bring our kids back, it not only is good for their academic health, but it's good for their social and emotional health. I think it's an excellent point. Uh, Gerald Hill. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, 
Well, one of the reasons that we're doing the two days face-to-face and then two days or three days remote is for that very reason to establish relationships with students. It's one thing to end the school year totally remote like we did this year when those relationships had already been established over the first six months of school. To start a year with a new group of students and a new teacher uh, or a very different group of students and a new teacher mix, that would be very difficult to establish those relationships. And relationships are key uh, the socio-emotional health uh, aspects of, of teaching and learning are really coming to the fore in this environment. Some students are not dealing well with the, the forced isolation, and, and, and we're doing a lot of work socio-emotionally, even remotely, but that's very difficult to replicate from a face-to-face perspective. So it, it will be challenging, and, and a blended model is, I think, where we're going to start with. Uh, and, and then hopefully over time we'll be able to do more and more face-to-face. But in the meantime, we have to have a robust uh, remote experience that goes with that face-to-face time that we have with students. Uh, let's quickly go to Chelsea in Romulus. Chelsea, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Sure. Elementary school, and I'm enrolled in college right now as well. Um, I just finished winter classes about a month ago, so it was very hard Um to do his curriculum as well, and I'm in, I was in full school as well, um, and I'm going to be going in summer classes soon, and that's going to be full-time as well, so it's going to be really hard because, you know, um, I have to do his classwork and mine at the same time, and uh, I can't really get a break, so it's been really hard. Wow. So, so what, are you, what are you thinking things might look like for you in the fall, or, and what do you think things should look like? For you well, in the fall. Um, I'm going to still be taking, um, I'd rather be on campus, but I'm still going to be taking online classes and hopefully he can return to school um, soon. Yeah. I, I don't know. You, yeah. you need him to go back to yeah. school every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, Chelsea, I really appreciate the call and the perspective. Uh, Gerald Hill, I think that's one of the things that, uh, that again, it's one of the perspectives we're hearing from some parents who really need their kids to be in school so that they can go to work or go to school themselves. Well, that that is very true. And, and as uh, Tim said earlier, the, the capacity of parents, uh, particularly uh, when you're doing another job, to be uh, your your son or daughter's teacher or teaching assistant, however you want to phrase it, that's a huge change. And everybody has that, that skill to be, especially with your own children, uh, it's oftentimes more difficult to be a teacher than than. There's a different relationship already there, and and so we need to be understanding and supportive of parents and what what they their needs are, and and offer uh, what we can for support for the parents and families as well as for the students. And the whole equity piece comes in if you have single parent households or households where both parents work, uh, and the child is left unattended. That's an issue as well. Okay. Gerald Hill and Tim Bearden, it was really great to have you here for this conversation. Thanks for being with us. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Okay, up next, we are going to talk about the precarious state of aging dams all across Michigan with Cranes Detroit business reporter Dustin Walsh. Remember that spectacular dam failure in Midland last week and all the damage it caused. It is not the only dam in the state that we have to worry about. Stay with us on Detroit Today.